Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 373. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. I tell you what's coming in today's show. First up is a bit of short fiction, The Ballad of Sophie New by Mark Lawrence. Then we have a peach of an interview with Evo Terra and Sheila D. Evo's Good wife, good spouse there. What a fantastic interview that is. Then we've got the main fiction, which is A Concert of Flowers by Kate O'Connor. Then right at the end, we've got a little itty-bitty story, by again by Mark Lawrence, called Potential. That is all coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Don't forget this show and SofaCon is sponsored by Octagon Technology. Octagon Technology, 1995 to 2015, 20 years of helping people and companies with IT projects and problems. How cool is that, man? Octagon Technology can supply hosted exchange services for companies across the UK. There you go. Big shout out to Clive and Diane. We're getting things, some couple of things as well in the pipeline to make something special in a couple of months' time. Look out for that. So kicking today's first short story off is The Ballad of Sophie New by Mark Lawrence. Mark Lawrence is married with four children, one who is severely disabled. His day job is as a research scientist focused on various rather interactable problems in the field of artificial intelligence. He has held secret level clearance with both the US and UK governments. And at one point he was qualified to say, this isn't rocket science. Oh, wait, it actually is. <laughs> Between work and caring for his disabled child, Mark spends his time writing, playing computer games, tending allotment, brewing beer, and avoiding DIY. Mark, I'm sitting here amongst more DIY in the living room. Oh, man, doing these two rooms is just a nightmare. So I know where you're coming from, sir. This story is narrated by Anne-Marie Chowowski. Anne-Marie studied voice as a postgraduate at the Royal College of Music and recently completed her MS Distinction in Applied Psychology of Music, majoring in singing, educational and performance at the University of Leeds. She currently teaches voice privately and on a B-Tech performing arts course at Huddersfield. She enjoys reading fantasy books and mindfulness and archery. So... The Starship Sova is very proud to present. The Ballad of Sophie New by Mark Lawrence. So you're going to sit in the dark all day listening to classical music? That's what Eve would say. Didn't need a sim to model that. Sophie lay back and let the ancient words flow. 
Time had robbed their meaning, leaving just the pattern and beat. A woman's voice, young and fierce. I'm an agent to the boo. I can bust your A. I'm a do one too. Fuck you gonna do. Fuck you gonna do. Fuck you gonna do. Food. That still meant something. Open. The capsule slid apart, revealing her to the world. Puzzle box pieces assembling themselves into some new form. The apartment lay bare, white, waiting instructions. Wood and something to eat. The walls flushed dark, patterned themselves into panelling. Furniture grew, polished oak sprouting into chairs. In the larder, she found a scorpion, waiting without motion in a perspex box. Only when she lifted the box did it move, raising both claws, arching its impotent tail. Enough music. The tune faded, beats hanging longer than the lyrics. Sophie opened the box, chased the scorpion into the corner with quick fingers and tore off the closest arm. The creature writhed and twitched as if the music were still playing. She studied the claw in her palm, a deep, glossy brown, a shade darker than her skin. People are still eating life. Yeah, Eve's voice. It was probably a mistake to set the responder to Eve's voice. Sophie popped the claw in her mouth and crunched it, nutty with a bitter edge. Call from Karen Cusack. Responder, torturing her with the way Eve would never quite put enough bite on a K. Sim? Karen would sick a Sim on her. Maybe she still checked the summary. Probably not. Unknown. Sim her. Sophie's Sim would gossip with Karen's Sim, exchange confidences, fake affection. For a moment she wondered how many models of her were out in the data right that second talking to how many other extrapolations of people she'd lost interest in and who'd lost interest in her. Were the sims spawning sims in endless cycles? The responder would know. She didn't ask. Instead, she swallowed and took the scorpion's other claw with a twist and a snap. Its legs made a dry and furious scrabbling on the plastic. With one hand, she keyed in a search, a three-layer variation. Karen or one of her sims, had once asked what Sophie did. I searched the data flows for correlations relevant to the hypothetical purchase of high-order derivatives on options to buy intellectual property rights. A dozen Sophie simulations were probably telling a dozen Karen Sims that right now, hearing the same pause. Some sense of duty had prompted her to return the question, but Karen's answer made as little sense to her. I look into data. We all do. And it looks right back into us. How many of my friends are real? Most of your friends have been real at some point, the responder told her. How often have I asked you that? Many times. The responder avoided numbers where it could. It knew them all but released figures with a miser's care. Somewhere behind that voice, Eve Sims talked endlessly to Sophie Sims, spiralled around the same arguments, fell in love, fell out, made up, fell out, spat out new Sims to field each other's calls. Fractal cycles consuming energy excreting still more data. Data is easy to create and hard to destroy. Like life, it multiplies and spawns. Henry told her that a very long time ago, back among the years where memory and extrapolation devour each other, a robberous eating tale. Eve memories bubbled pornographic, 
filling Sophie's mind until the search concluded and divulged its graphic. The lurid colours grated one against the next, revealing transient patterns. Sophie found herself not caring. There's no centre in the world, Henry had told her. She didn't need to be told. Not even the scorpion had a centre. The whole of it coded in every cell. The responder could manufacture hundreds more in a second from the traces left on Sophie's fingers, all the DNA printed even more indelibly into decentralised memory banks. When did I last see someone? Six minutes before entering the sleep cap. I mean without the screen between us. A long time ago, the responder said. I want to go out. Out? As if such a thing had never existed. Make a door. Sophie stood, faced the wall, waiting. An unease nagged at her. That sense of disassociation, of falling through days without a call. The responder made a door. A dark planking of teak amid the deepness of the wood panels. I searched the deed all day. Yes, you assemble information into new forms. You give it commercial value, but not meaning. A pause. The responder seldom paused. Perhaps not. She reached for the door and it opened. A corridor behind, branching into infinity. Windows, she said, and windows opened. Windows onto video streams, onto data, onto artworks. Even some onto the architecture of the city. Veined hulks burgeoning like tumours. So vast as to defy any point of reference. Sophie began to walk, resisting the urge to request a flow. Something in the primitive act of unnecessary exercise spoke to her. The repetition of it. Did Eve ever love me? Yeah. The responder often said what she wanted to hear. I saw a sheep in the day to day. It reminded her now of the scorpion maimed and scrabbling. There are many shapes in the data. The responder saw them all. It didn't need her help. That was just the games people play against each other. Sophie stopped. Door! And a door appeared. If she wanted it, her room would lie behind, reproduced to a fidelity that would admit no difference. Would the responder delete her old room or leave it? Eve told me our great work, humanity's new craft, is in constructing a language beyond our imagination. I know. She said if you have built a language in which truths can be spoken, then someone will come to use it. Or something. Something risen from the deep, hot core of the data storm. In 1755, the Reverend Thomas Bayes first wrote the theorem of statistical interference that bears his name, the responder told her in the voice Eve reserved for lecturing. He hid this truth out of fear that he had trespassed on God's domain, but could not bring himself to destroy it. The equation was found among his notes and published after his death. He laid the foundation for a theory of data as deep as any of matter, a quantum mechanics of information, if you like. This is the language that shapes the invisible. Sophie turned from the door and walked on, pulsing behind the voice that followed her. Deep, within multidimensional spaces and far beyond imagining, many angled gods were being born. The need to do something rose within her, a bitter taste at the back of her throat, to do something radical. But nothing radical existed. Every twist and turn she made had been modelled, predicted, costed in and costed out. Show me a real window, she said. 
A thousand appeared to line the walls. Not an image of a window, a real window, a hole in the superstructure. The floor flowed beneath her feet and she stole into motion, picking up speed. The rush of air, the only clue as the flow took her along featureless corridors of seemingly infinite length. The song from her apartment rattled discordant in the back of her mind. Fuck you gonna do? People once thought their music, their culture, might be the language that let them explain themselves to themselves, a translational grammar. Sophie had no songs for the world that spun around her. The flow stopped. The corridor stopped. A blank wall faced her, and as Sophie watched, the whiteness of the surface ebbed until a small and dirty porthole appeared, the glass thick and stained. She knelt, a trembling rising through her. Excitement? She had to kneel, had to squint, and far below, wreathed in mist, a confusion of dark greens of reaching broken arms. What is it? A forest. Sophie stared for the longest time at this distant and unruly chaos, stared until her knees hurt and her eyes grew twitchy. Were the scorpions down there, resting on ancient trunks, stings in their tails envenomed? Did monkeys swing from one branch the next? Her imagination could paint no more into the arboreal gloom. What did Sophie knew know of forests? The portal with its dirt and edges confined her. Show me more! and a clear window replaced the porthole, broad, clean, without distortion. Simulation? Extrapolation. A composite of images from cameras 12A33 through 12A60, the responder told her. Zoom in. Sophie touched the window to guide and control the point of view. Within seconds, a sea of glossy leaves filled the window. She edged the view deeper in among the branches, a wet and dripping place. This is real? Real, but not current. I could go here? At the corner of the window, some scurry of motion, the briefest glimpse of a furred limb gone behind dark leaves. Monkey? Silence. I was just thinking of... The responder has enough sims to know what she was thinking. Show me the first window again. The extrapolation gave way to the porthole. Is this real? All windows are real. Show me what's really here, really in front of me. Anything you want can be there. Anything can be put in front of you. Show me what was here when I walk and ask for food. The wall rippled to blankness, the smooth grey of quiescent nanostructure. How close are we to the outer wall? There is no outer wall. How far from me is the forest I saw? A long way. Remove all optical simulations employed since I walk. A chill ran through her. Her knees hurt. She held up her hands, studied them, Remembered Eve's softness. Remove all simulations. Layers peeled, slid, scenes dissolved, reintegrated, faded like shadows with nowhere to hide. And as the transformation ceased, Sophie lay in the sleep capsule where she had begun, just a whisper of light to show the enclosing surface an inch above her nose. Is this it? An image rose from within, swallowing her. Alice and the rabbit hole, Alice falling through days without centres. A code danced on the tip of her tongue, a code so old she'd forgotten to remember it. Show me the truth. And she spoke the code. There is only blackness, blackness, a white table, a scorpion in a box.
and Sophie knew, naked and old, hunched in her chair. The truth! She demands it from thin and bitten lips. Now there is only darkness, and a ten thousand eve suspended in a single thread, talking, laughing, crying, each one a jewel. Delete them. It feels like murder. Deleted, the responder said, its voice anodyne, cleaned of all traces of Eve. Delete all the data, Sophie said. That felt like suicide. But right, clean. Process initiated. The responder betrayed no emotion. The darkness around her shredded, reduced to something less, an enfolding nothingness. On each side, emptiness devoured dark, an expanding bubble centred on Sophie. Now we have a centre. And Sophie knew smiled. How long would the lichen take? An infinite number of years. Data is generated faster than it may be destroyed, the responder said. But no search initiated in this place will be able to catch up with the deletion horizon. This data void is self-contained. Sophie knew, hung in nothing, beheld nothing, and for the longest time said nothing. And when at last she knew herself to be alone, and at the centre of all things, she spoke. Let there be light! There you go. Don't forget, copyright is Mark Lawrence. Mark, thank you so much for that. That's just fantastic. And we'll hear a little bit, another story by Mark Lawrence a little bit later on. And a big thank you to Anne-Marie Chowowski. And what, what can I say? Oh, man. Production qualities, top of the class. Like I say, we'll hear as well from Anne as well later on. So next up is a little interview that I carried out with Evo Terra and Sheila D. <laughs> Man, I don't want to kind of give too much away, but these two are so brave. Evo Terra, if you don't know, is kind of, in my eyes, one of the kind of heroes, you know, of like podcasting. He was one of the kind of crucial, fundamental figures that started off, oh, 2005, probably, you know. And him, along with like Ely and people like that, they were at the cutting edge of podcasting. And that's who I kind of, when I started, do you know what I mean? And I've, right, I've been in this game a while there now. But Evo Terra has always been there and kind of just, you know, he's even wrote books, you know, like the dummies books on how to kind of be podcasting. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's, the, he's the president of Podio Books. Do you know what I mean? We all go there and get stories and listen to it. You know what I mean? That guy thought about that years ago, you know. <laughs> but what he's done now is just unreal. And I've got like a little, like I say, a little, it's quite a nice long interview there with Sheila and Evo just... They've actually sold up everything and now living this nomadic lifestyle. So, right, Sheila. Yes. Tell us why. <laughs> because this is just like monumental. And I'm guessing we're all at the kind of same age group. You know, well, I'm 49, you know, 48, should I say. So we're, I'm sure we're in the kind of 40s bracket. And to step off that edge, it's unreal thinking. I'm assuming that you're chatting with us about the uh, 
the the lifestyle that we've chosen now to to sell everything and not my choice of marrying Eva. <laughs> yes, well, that actually that was that's you could add that in as well, mind you. No, it's it's your lifestyle. This total change, you know what I mean? Like, say, and I think everybody, th- you know, thinks about it, but to have the courage to do it, I'm just wondering why. Well, and it's it's really interesting because we did it like super fast. So November 1st, we had no idea what we were going to be doing starting in 2015. And by November 15th, we had made the decision basically to, to do this. And so we started selling everything and that kind of thing. But it really came about from wanting a change, um, our living you know, arrangements in um, not wanting to live where we were living um, for health reasons and different things. And we, we had seen a, uh, an article about somebody who'd done something like this and they had started out saying, you know, we're going to do this for a year. And it was something like 20 years later and they were still doing it. And we had, we've traveled quite a bit, but hadn't gotten to see Europe and a lot of different places. And so when we talked about it, we decided we'd do it. See what happens over the year. <laughs> yeah, just, Evo, whose who's initial seed of an idea was it? And did you both jump in at the same time and say, well, yes, that's it? I think it was Sheila that first found the article that, that – detailed the couple that had taken off for a year-long sabbatical and then continued to travel several years later. She sent that to me, and I saw it and said, when do we leave? <laughs> and she said, how about January 1? And I said, brilliant, let's do it. So it was it was a complete mutual agreement from the very beginning. Uh, neither one of us had to convince the other one that this was the lifestyle for us, and here we are. We're we're both kind of instigators anyway, so I think it works out well. Yes, must be she like it must be like a, a good team together. Do you know what I mean? To kind of just to make it happen. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm just going off kind of my lifestyle. You know what I mean? There's always one that's kind of whoa, and it's me. You know what I mean? Whoa, whoa, get steady. No, no, no. You know, so good on you to be quite honest. Yeah, it, it was a lot of teamwork back and forth. Like we both play to our strengths. You know, when I would get frustrated trying to find some research or something like that, where do we want to go, that kind of stuff, then I'd ping off to to Evo and say, okay, I need you to step in and take care of this. And he would do the same back to me. And it, it's been really nice to work together. And I mean, we've always been a pretty good team. Um, but I think this is really showcased that we can work together on a day-to-day basis. Evo, then, has the bridges been burnt? Is the, is the like, no home now? Yeah, there is literally no home right now. Uh, we, we divested ourselves of real property a few years back, knowing that we didn't want to stay in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where we've made our home for the last 18 years, roughly. We knew we were leaving there. So we had been renting an apartment or condominiums for, for the last oh, several years. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have that any longer. We don't, we don't own a car any longer. Uh, everything that we own is either in the single suitcase or backpack we have with us or is in a, is a very small um, storage unit that's about 
a meter and a half by a meter and a half and uh, just some personal effects and belongings that are still back where, where our son lives in Phoenix. He's watching over those. And that's it. So I don't know that we've burned bridges, but we certainly don't have a place to land any longer. Hey, it's just, it's remarkable. Do you know what I mean? And do you, are you lying awake, worried or not? Or, you know, on the night time, do you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, yeah, we've done it. This is, this is for real. No, we, we actually, I don't think we're doing, I'm not doing that now. Um, I'm like loving what we're doing now. I know that right up until we left the Phoenix area, neither one of us were sleeping much. We were waking up a lot and tossing and turning and neither one of us, you know, outwardly feel like we were, you know, making big mistakes or, you know, I don't know. We, neither one of us seemed to be nervous, but obviously internally we were. You know what? Because I, I go on your website. I'm, I'm on there now since I kind of discovered and discovered your podcast. You know, I go on there to have a little look around and see what, how you're doing. And I noticed you, you mentioned, she like, your luggage. Man, your luggage is so small. Even, <laughs> even your handbag, Sheila, you know, like the kind of the backpack, it's tiny. I would be carrying that purple suitcase as my backpack. You know, if this is all I've got to take, I want to take a bit more than what you've actually took. Is are you regretting anything? That's uh, you know, like that's all you've got. No, the the purple, the little bitty backpack that holds um, a ton of stuff, and it's heavy as anything. It's got my laptop, my iPad, my Kindle. And all of my photography equipment. <laughs> Honestly, when you when you see, you know what I mean. You kind of, when you see it and you think that's it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you've got your little storage somewhere, but that's it. And I will tell you what, I was Eva. I tell you what, I was thinking as well because on your travels, you're gonna surely pick up stuff. You know, you again, you're gonna accumulate clutter. You know, oh, we'll get a little souvenir from Belgium because it's you know would, what happens to all that stuff. Yeah, well, so the, the, the reality there is that it's, it's Sheila who is the uh, collector of things. Some <laughs> might say hoarder. Um, but, but so that I'm typically not that way. Uh, but we have to make those choices. But I'll tell you, Tony, the, the funny thing is right now it seems to me that I have actually – I've been living out of this suitcase for a couple of weeks right now, and I think I've overpacked. I think I have too many uh, – like I brought too many pairs of jeans, for example. I brought three, and I, I'm realizing now I only needed two. So that can go away. There are a couple of things I felt were going to be very essential to me. And I haven't taken them out of the bag yet. So I'm not quite ready to throw them out to save the space to make room for more stuff. But if they don't get utilized after a, a couple of more visits, I will have to think seriously about keeping them or not. But but the issue, though, is are they items that are like summer items or are they winter items that you haven't used yet? Because like – for me, I have very distinct summer items versus winter items. And I've worn, I think, all of my winter items and obviously none of my summer items because I would freeze here. Right, right. No, mine, mine's, a, mine's a combination. So I, I, we'll have to wait and see. Sheila, just I'll, I'll ask you this. You know, you're making this kind of total lifestyle change. And, you know, the cool thing for this is you're making it very social. Do you know what I mean? Is this kind of social part of it, you know, getting it out there, getting your message and your lifestyle out there, is this taking up the time you should be appreciating with Evo, just having a good time in France? No, I think I, I don't think it's it's taking away from our togetherness. I mean, we're together 24-7. 
Um, I think the only time we've really been apart right now is I took a little walk uh, earlier this week to go to the grocery store really quick. Um, but no, it's not, it's, it's actually been relatively easy, I think, so far. I mean, things have just kind of flowed. And when I want to write a post, I write a post. And when he wants to write a post, he writes a post. Now, I do give him all the heavy lifting on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> other than that, I don't think it's, you know, but maybe that's because I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of the production work of some of this stuff. That Evo's taking the heavy lifting on that. Well, mind Evo, I just want to honestly, I wish I could virtually shake your hand because I read on your post as well, like your podcast is not just, you know, two guys around the microphone now. I think, and you're right, I think them days have gone. This is, you know, you're doing your best. It's fantastic. It's like a heavily produced podcast. And it just comes over. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's a joy to listen to. You know, your voice, your voice yourself. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, it's lovely to listen to. But the way it's just, you've got it set out. It's a dream to listen to. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know what? The fun, it's funny. You might not think so. It is as funny as anything. When you two were walking around the supermarket, trying to, trying to find trolleys, you know, you was probably at the time don't think that's funny, but I was taking the dogs along this like a, a, a coastal walk, and it's just the smile on my face because where the hell's these trolleys? Every every French person's got a trolley, but you, you know, you're the typical Americans kind of. And it's I know this sounds, you know, I'm being sincere here. You're bumbling through life now, and it, but it's funny for us. Do you know what I mean? It's I is yeah. trying that. I is trying it. Or is this just you trying to get on in life? So it's it, um, well. First off, thank you. I'm, I'm I'm glad you appreciate the effort that goes into it, and I'm glad that, that you're enjoying the time as well. Um, you know, Tony, I've I've been podcasting for a very long time, almost literally since the beginning, and, and doing radio from before that. And I have found that when when you try and force the funny, it, it just it just doesn't work. I mean, that's that's a job for professional comedians, and, and they're really good at that. And, I, and I'm not. But what what we do find that works out pretty well is we can make light of ourselves in some interesting situations. And if I am successful at assembling those together uh, after a week, those little life moments into something more cohesive that, that is entertaining for people. Um, excellent. That's really all that I'm trying to do is just find the funny stuff that happens in, in today's the world we live in rather than try and force it by, you know, for example, putting, putting Sheila in a situation that makes her uncomfortable. I wouldn't do that largely because she'd kick my ass. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> and honestly, you know what you were describing? Because to us over here, you know, the supermarket and them little coins in the trolleys. So you yeah. take your trolley back to somewhere nice and tidy. Have you not got that in America? Have you not that system? We have. I have since found out that um, Aldi supermarkets, which has come into the East Coast, is prevent, is doing that very same thing. However, instead of where the the way it was here in Corlay, France, where they were just the trolley carts were in the middle of the parking lot, uh, in the Aldi supermarkets on the East Coast of the U.S., they're putting them by the front door where our typical carts are, but you still have to put the coin in the slot. So it's slowly making its way to the States, but we lived in the far western portions of the U.S., so that's that was brand new to us, <laughs> just clearly. A, it was just a dream because it's like, you see, it's so natural, you know, and it's honestly, it's a pain in the arse, to be quite honest, because I'm a typical man, just carries a bit of plastic around and I end up going into the supermarket with no trolley, my arms full of shopping because I haven't got a pound to put in the trolley, you know what I mean? So I wish they would do away with it to be quite honest. So 
Oh, it's brilliant. We love, we love it. I, I'd, I'd like to see him bring him back to the States because it keeps the carts out of the way. Right. I, I think it's a great idea. However, like you, normally when I was living back in the States, I – like you probably don't carry a lot of money or change on me. We do keep money and change here because we're never sure when, when we can use our ATM card and when we cannot. But uh, that, that would be weird to always have to have change in my pocket. And I typically just hand out the coins and, and I try to figure out what coins are needed. And then I hand those out yeah. in addition to everything else. And then sometimes I get it right and sometimes not so much. Yeah, that, that was pretty comical. We were at the, at the uh, post shop. office Ooh, a, couple, that one. a couple days ago getting some stamps for uh, our niece and nephew to send some cards to them. And the guy behind the counter didn't speak English. We don't speak French. So it was a matter of laying the cards, the, the postage or the, uh, the, the postcards out, pointing to the fact that they had no stamps on them. He said something in French that was probably, you know, a dollar ninety eight or a euro twenty, whatever the number is. And all we did was hold out the money in the palm of our hands that we had. And he picked through the appropriate amount and gave us what we believe was a requisite change. I, I, I truly felt like a five year old who doesn't know anything about, you know, finances or money or anything like that it was it's really a sad like state of being when you just hand out money like they could totally rip me off yeah i guess they could i was gonna say you know was it not kind of did you not consider possibly learning just like a little bit of kind of the pigeon french you know what I mean? but i guess you've done it so quick you know yeah. and like you say you're, you're only going to be in for, how long are you going to be in france for uh, we're here for another four days, and that was the exact problem, Tony. I did want to study and learn some French, French, but it, it was so quickly. Um, I have been, for the last six months or so, doing a, a, I guess, a semi-serious study of learning Spanish. And the languages on paper appear to be quite similar. However, the <laughs> words that come out of the people's <laughs> mouths don't always appear to line up to the words and, and letters I know were used in when they write them down. So it's, it was like, to hell with it. We're just going to be the big, big smile on our face. Um, the one French phrase that I know um, is that, let's see, mon français est pourri, which means my French is rotten. And then and, they chuckle and typically speak English back to us. And je ne suis idiot. Yeah, just sweet, not just sweet. Just sweet or an idiot. I'm That's an it. idiot. Right, so. <laughs> I think, like, you know, if you kind of, I suppose, went a bit closer into Paris, you know, you would get the kind of, you know, the, the people speaking there. But not, you, you're, you're in, are you in Brittany? Is that right? So that's, you know, quite far up north. Is that right? Yeah, it, it is quite far up north. There are a, quite a few um, English people that have retired here or have second homes here. So there's there's more than a few people here who actually are native English speakers who, who speak French. The couple that we're sitting for, they're retirees who are from the UK. And so they, they speak English in their household. But most of their friends in this little town, this little burg of La Alcorale, uh, do not speak all that much English, uh, which is has been interesting. But so far, we've managed. <laughs> I just want to, one more like question about like the social side of things. Yeah. And and again, this even though this would be putting loads of kind of time and pressure on you, but would you ever consider doing this as a video as well for like YouTube? Because it would, you know, just to carry around, you know, like a camera and just capture some of these moments would be a dream for someone watching it. Yeah, I've, I have thought about that. Um, my, if I had some unobtrusive way 
to capture the video, I, I, I might do that. Or I suppose we could go back to the little carpe diem pub that's around the street. The guy's gotten to know us a while. We might be able to let talk him into – well, not talk him into. I guess sign him into <laughs> letting us record some video for the interaction. Um, but, yeah, that, that's that's our challenge is making – I don't want to be in somebody's face. I don't want to be that American. Hell, I am that American. I don't want to come <laughs> off as that American. You know, J- Sheila, I mean he has a question for you. You know, you kind of planned this and it was done very, very quick. But then it, you must have been still, you know, going ahead with it. We hear these like atrocities or these kind of sickening shootings that happened in Paris. You know, was did that have any influence on you? Or did you, did you stop for a second and think, hell, where are we going? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I like to, I'm not huge into like reading the news and things like that, but that one's obviously one that hit um, pretty close to home as we were looking at coming here. Um, but, you know, things happen everywhere. And if you are, if you're in the mindset of, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go do this because what if you're never going to go and do anything? So I typically don't go in that mindset, I guess. What about you, E? No, the same time that happened, there was something similar that happened in, in Phoenix. It wasn't a, a, a terror plot, you know, with, with anything crazy like that, but there are plenty of murders and there are bomb threats and so I mean, shit, bad shit happens everywhere. Right. And we're not going to, we're going to try and avoid the places that are obvious hotbeds of that activity, but we're not going to block off an entire country or throw off a trip to a continent just because of some militant idiots are, are making some noise about things. You know, the chance of that impacting us, pretty darn small. So we'll, we'll take that risk. Well, Evo, at the moment then, it, it feels, I'm guessing for both of you anyways, but Evo, it, it feels like a holiday. What happens when a month down the line, it does turn into a bit of a holiday from hell? You know, have you got a, a plan B? Well, um, plan B is always States. Uh, we, we have not rescinded our citizenship and really don't have any plans to do that. So our, our plan B is just, you know, we're about the credit card, buy some tickets and, and fly back. Uh, we've got plenty of people that we know that would shelter us for a while while we got things together. But really, Tony, that was one of the biggest uh, reasons we knew we could make this happen is that regardless of what happens, if it's, a, if it's a dismal failure after a month or after a year or whatever, and we completely deplete our savings, which is not our intention to do, but if we used, you know, just blew everything and this was just horrible, the worst thing that happens is we go back to the States, pick a spot, and start over again. We're not going to wind up living in a van down by the river. Um, <laughs> it's just, we, we have both, both of us have marketable skills that are relevant, uh, we have plenty of experience. So the worst thing that happens is we go back and get a job. Okay, no worries. Everything will be uh, fine after that. We, we will have a fine adventure to talk about for years to come. And, and we're, we're doing work while we're away. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Sheila. Are you, can you work from anywhere in the world, can you? Yes. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an instructional designer, so I pick up clients here and there and do things like that. I do various photography-type stuff and then – you know, I'm not even sure what he does, but he does <laughs> does it better than I do. Yeah, so. 
that's 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 what makes mine good to do anywhere. When you really can't describe what it is you do for someone, that means it's hard for them to find people that can do it. So <laughs> I can do it abroad as well. You know, Evo, just getting off the, the, the beaten track for a second there, I, I remember I got myself a one of these up twenty four bands and I yeah. kinda and I I thought, Oh, Evo's on there, I'll follow Evo and I'll see how fit this young you know, this fella is. <laughs> so I started following you, you know, you kinda were hooked up on the on the up band and your yeah. first post was Evo's drinking a beer, you know what I mean? <laughs> five five minutes later, and this is like the band tell whatever kind of stuff you use. Evo's yeah. having another drink, and I thought, oh, it must be like once a week you can you know, relax a little bit and have a little drink. It gets to about five, and then the next day there's five drinks, and I'm thinking, is are we on the same keep fit campaign here? So Evo, what's this thing about beer? You must have started in October. Dad. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so the, I have I have a, a love hate relationship with the Up Twenty Four. Um, I loved it when I first got it, and about a week later, I hated it, and I, I have since gotten gotten rid of it. It was my experiment in the wearables world, since digital strategy is is what I do to make my living. I need to know how these things are working. One of the very first things that I did was I connected my untapped profile, which is like a four square for beer. Uh, directly to my up 24 band uh, with uh, IFTT, if this, then that service. And every time I checked into a beer, it automatically <laughs> updated my, my uh, up 24 people, you know, because I've, I've proven that you can be fit and still drink beer. So my intent was to put down all the fitnessy type things that I was doing along with the beer. It was a lot easier just to shove the beer check-ins to the, uh, the up 24. And so that's kind of where I stopped. I just thought that was like one of the best kind of motivation there. You know, I got some motivation from you there, Evo. That was fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> Very helpful that way. Sheila, just be honest there now. Like what's, you know, you've kind of, you've done all this and you, you, you're kind of floating down. What's tough now for you? Do you know what I mean? Is there any tough, you know, experiences? What, what are you finding tough with this new lifestyle? So right now, I think with it all being so new, we're working out electricity issues in the sense of um, connectors and things like that. So what we found is that our um, converter adapter doesn't work with my, uh, my flat iron, which is not a big deal as long as I have a blow dryer at the location we're going to be at. So that's, that's fine. But also our laptops, we, the converter wasn't working as well with our, um, our laptop cables. So when we get back to Paris next week, I think we're going to stop at an Apple store and buy the converters for France and also for the UK, I think is what we decided. I'm to the point now where I'm just going to start carrying wire strippers with me and we'll just <laughs> directly into the ports, you know, hurts so, me damned. So my, my, we are not canceling our life insurance. I just want to put that out there right now. <laughs> Do you know, just, and I'm not, honestly, I'm not being negative here. I'm just kind of trying to think of all the scenarios, you know, who out of the two of you, Evo Sheila, who, and I'll ask this to Evo, who will crack first? You know, if it, if it does come to things where, listen, the, our savings is going, you know, we've got to make a decision there. Who's going to be the first one? Who's the kind of, the one that checks into reality first? 
Yeah, I guess it depends on where the reality check comes from. If it's a money reality check, it'll come from me because I'm much more deeply integrated with our finances and, and know what's going on than, than, than Sheila is right now. Um, if it comes to the point of, look, we're cold and we're wet and we're just sick of this, that's going to come from her. So uh, it's really hard to say which I, one of us is going to Which is kind track. of funny because I, being here, it's been cold, yes. but I'm not the one that's cold. No, I've been you... the one colder than you. I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could use some heat anytime now. <laughs> so, Evo, then tell us about how is you know like what's the logistics? I'm I'm guessing I is renting properties over there. Are you just living in someone's house? Yeah, we're living in someone's house. Um, we're using a concept called international house sitting, and it's a lot like online dating where we put our profile up and say we would love to sit and, and, and watch your animals and your house while you are away on holiday for weeks or in some cases months at a time. And then on the other side, homeowners go there and put pictures of the property up, put details of what their pets are and what special needs they have and what, what they're looking for out of someone, and we apply. And they, the, the homeowner gets to make a decision of, of who they're going to pick. And in exchange for not burning, not letting their house burn down or letting their pets die, we get to live in their home uh, rent-free for the duration of our visit. In fact, after our interview with you, we're chatting with a couple from the UK. That's You know what I mean? That's actually because, like you say, we're over in the UK there now, and when we go on holiday, even before we start, you know, you're talking probably about... 700 pound you know if we're going for a fortnight we've got three dogs to get them in kennels that's just before we even try and book a flight try and you know what i mean we've got to kind of somehow you know cobble together money even for the dogs you know what i mean so and we like a lizard as well so Sure. And that, that's so, yeah, international, that sounds like something you should take a look at, you know, finding someone to do that for it. Because really, all you're going to do is, you know, normally for the days you'd be gone, you wouldn't be paying for the electricity use in your house. Well, if someone's living there all that time, you, you will. But yeah, why, why board the dogs? Just have somebody like us come a couple of days early so that we can get to know the animals and everybody's on the nice friendly term and find out where you keep the vacuum cleaner and how you turn the uh, dishwasher on. <laughs> Jesus Christ, we have no idea how to work this dishwasher. We're doing everything by hand. Right? Um, and then you go away and you come back and you let the folks stay with you for another couple of days and your dogs are happy because they don't have to uh, you know, worry about going to the kennel and all of that kind of stuff. Plus, you know, house sitters are able to do things like take you to and pick you up from the airport if, in fact, you're, you're flying somewhere. And, um, and grab out. your mail. Yeah, check, get your mail cleaned up. Everything's good, so it's just as if you're gone. If, if there's a garden to take care of, we can do that. I have to go take care of the chickens every day. So it's simple. It's, it's simple on the homeowner, um, and it's, it's perfect for us. It's a win-win situation for everyone. Well, I'm looking, I'm looking at the site there now, Sheila, and I, I see, you know, you're going to Belgium there, you're going to Germany, and then Denmark. You know, you're in France now, and then England, and then... What's what? There's nothing after England. What's have you not even thought that far ahead? That's actually what we were discussing right before chatting with you. We as as Americans, we have to watch our time in um, certain areas. Um, so the Schengen area, we're only allowed 90 days within 180 days. And so um, there's a conference that E is possibly speaking at in London in May, 
and trying to figure out, we just, um, a, a, a location in, uh, a house sitting assignment in Australia wants to talk to us about a four month house sit assignment, but that would be over the time when he might need to be in Australia. So we're maybe thinking about shifting some things around, but that would mean, uh, we may stay in the Schengen area a little bit longer, which takes away some of our time to, it's just, it's kind of complicated. And, this, and that's why you only see if the things we have confirmed listed on the website. Right, right. And to answer your question, yes, we are thinking about what to do. But logistically, a lot of people won't put their requests for house sitters up on the websites before, you know, six to 12 weeks before they're ready to travel. So we, we have to be flexible uh, and, and willing to accept a little bit of a risk that we won't find an assignment. And if we don't, no worries. We'll just, you know, get a hotel somewhere or even better, see if we can find somebody that we might know internationally who's willing to let us, you know, crash in their spare bedroom for a few days while we work on our next next spot. So is the, is the world your oyster, basically? You, you can go, you, or is there anywhere where you're thinking, ah, we don't want to go there, it's bloody freezing? Well, we're, we're going to stay away from you know, anything that's a crazy war-torn area right now. That would be a, not a good idea. Um, we're, we're about as far north as we ever want to go again. Um, we, we'd like to go somewhere a little bit closer to the, to the tropics for that one. Um, but other than that, yeah, we're, we're pretty open to places. Um, and there's, there's, there are very few places that are on our hell no list. Like I'm not really excited about going to Sierra Leone anytime real soon. But, <laughs> but we have applied for some places in Kenya. So yeah. it's, it's really what comes up uh, to us even more so than where we want to go. We have to kind of put that on a back seat, and we're looking for places that we've never been before right. because they're everywhere. We might as well go try and experience as much of it as we possibly can. Mind, um, Sheila, Ivo, Italy's lovely. Oh, what a gorgeous country Italy is. You know what I mean? If you can... well, knowing that we're going to go to the possibly this conference in London in the middle of May, we may end up in Italy just after that because the World's Fair is going on during that time. Wow. Hey, we're in, we're in Rome in, ooh, like you say, we'll have to book the dogs. We're in Rome in, I think it's the first week. In, yeah. in May as well. So it's honestly, it's just the, the coffee, the culture, the, you know, everything's just so nice over there. It's, it's a lovely place. Mm. You know, I was just, Sheila, you were just talking there, you know, kind of flitting and then Australia and that. Man, I can see your savings going down, you know, booking flights. That's, you've surely got to keep a tight rein on that. Well, that's, that's part of why, um, another reason why I'm not thrilled about jumping over to Australia right now is because, you know, we, we pay the expense to get over here to Europe. And I think we need to stay here for a bit longer for our costs to balance out. What's Evo then? What, what, what are you thinking? Or what's your thoughts on France? You know what I mean? Because like you say, you're right in the kind of, you know, rural France there. You're not, you're not hitting the commercial side of it at all. I don't think, you know what I mean? So what's, what's your, your first or your initial views on France? I think it's a lovely little country over here, and the people aren't nearly as big of assholes as the world makes them out to be. <laughs> Not at now, all. Now, with the change when we get to Paris, you know, we are going to spend a couple of hours in Paris in a few days as we're making our way up to up to Denmark, so that can change. But but I love it. I mean, it's – but the, here's the funny thing about it, though. The French countryside is a lot like the countryside of 
Well, most places, you know, it's uh, you, the pictures that Sheila's taking and lots of that, that all looks like countryside that I would find anywhere. Uh, it's quite damp, which we really like that coming from Arizona. We appreciate that. But so far, we've, we've really had a great time in the country and found everyone uh, quite lovely. So, Sheila, what was wrong with Phoenix then? What, what made you think we need a total change of lifestyle? Was there something particular about Phoenix or just America in general? Well, a couple things. So I like to move. Um, and I kind of get itchy to move about every five years, sometimes every three years. It just depends. But but the main reason is it's so dry and there's uh, it, that it was causing some some medical issues for me. Well, I suppose moving to France, then, like you say, it's it's a lush, it's a it's a weird word, moist. But that, is that is, is that good for you? No, it's been great. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome. And like what, I think it's rained like four times today and the sun has come out three to four times. I mean, it's just been really a crazy day. Eve, Eve what, what was it like then selling your stuff? You know, back home, you've made a decision and then you're, you're giving away your kind of or you're selling your treasured items, you know what I mean? And even if it comes down to like a, a set E, you know, this that's kind of your set E and it's your telly, you know what I mean? What was that like? Right. Well, it was it was actually a little easier than you than you might imagine. Now, part of that is I'm not one big on attachments to to physical goods. Um, but it it wasn't all that much of a challenge. The the bigger challenge was trying to figure out what the right price for something was because a we wanted it to be gone because it was absolutely of, of zero value to us sitting in storage and we've already put the sunk costs into it. So my inner economist was coming out uh, pretty heavily as we would do that, making sure we get the right kind of price tag for it. The most difficult thing we had to part with was uh, was Sheila's car, which she had grown deeply attached to over the last year or so that we had had this brand new 2013 Mini Cooper Coupe. All right. She, <laughs> she really, really enjoyed. So get, letting letting that go was was hard. But but that was also the bulk of our of our funds that allow us to, to do this little adventure. So so it, it had to go. The good news is we're both highly motivated by reality. And when it set in that this is what we had to do, uh, and if we would get past this stage, it would lead to something greater, then, then that was fine. Uh, except for the handful of things that we couldn't replace, everything went away. And I don't think we, uh, we sweated it too much. Nope. So... Evo, are you still? Like you say, have you still got finances coming? I'm not. I, I certainly don't want to go down. You know, kind of what years have got and what you haven't. But are you still, like, say, president of like um, podio books? And have you still got? Because I'm, I'm actually worried for you. That it's just gonna because it just money goes. You know, in our family, it just goes out of our pockets like something not right. You know what I mean? So have you still got money coming in each kind of month? Yeah, we still we still have a small income stream. You know, and the, the biggest. I mean, if you look at your finances, the amount of money that any. Buddy, who has who you know any adult spends, especially at our age, the biggest cost that you have is your is your lodging, right? So the minute you pay off your house is when you have enough money that you can start afford to doing things. Well, we don't have a house payment, we don't have a rent payment, we don't have a car insurance, we don't have to pay for fuel for our vehicle. All of those expenses that you just normally assume are part of daily living are gone from our lives. So as opposed to needing to live on, you know. Hundred thousand dollars or more a year, whatever the number is, being able to do that for you know a, a third of that is is quite freeing. But it's but it's possible when when you get rid of all of those 
expenses. Right now, we're fine. We, we, we have enough money to afford us to travel this way for a year, we think. I mean, that's a, that's a guess on our part. Um, it means not going out to eat every single day, and it certainly means no longer buying every gadget that comes by. Uh, if So if Kickstarter and Indiegogo could stop sending me emails, that would be great because <laughs> uh, that's very tempting. But, uh, you know, PatioBooks.com makes a modest am- amount of money. The great thing about it for fans of PatioBooks.com is I will have more time to spend on that site than I have in probably five to six years. So they'll, we, we could do some very interesting things on, on PatioBooks.com as well as for my other projects that I'm working on. But I, th- I think we're going to be just fine. One of the things that was interesting and when we very first started thinking about this whole thing is we went through our finances with a fine-tooth comb, and we were looking at the items that were like automatic uh, payments that were coming out, so like cable TV. We yanked it, and we 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 got rid of, um, oh, there's another TV-type thing that I, I can't think of the name of it, but we got rid of that too, and we had some automatic payments coming out from you know Amazon and different things like that. We just got rid of them. It's just, it's just remarkable, to be quite honest. Like, so brave he is, you know. And am I right, Sheila, in thinking that all this is, you know, the gear at the wards is going to produce a book on your experiences? We'll see what happens after a year. And if we have um, good, solid, quality content, then yeah. I mean, if we just have, right? <laughs> No. <laughs> I am looking forward to the ability to kind of blend uh, my writing with Sheila's photography. We really haven't done much of that previously. And, and honestly, we haven't done a whole lot of it this time. But once we get established into our routine, then I'm, then I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do uh, more of that and, and find out if we've got a good synergy between, uh, between our two skill sets. I mean, Evo, you're pretty kind of clued up on the kind of social media and everything like that. Is it yeah. not, w- would you not consider going down, say, like, just to get you up and running, or, you know, another kind of avenue of money coming in, like a Kickstarter for this project, for the book, or say, Patreon, you know, Patreon to, to kind of get some income coming in each month? Because I'm sure, you know, we'd all kind of, we're all interested in your lives now. You know, you've made it totally public and open. So we're all kind of vested, you know, that it goes well for you. Would you not consider doing something like that? Yeah, I, I would definitely consider that. Uh, and we have considered that. We, we thought about doing some fundraising before we left Phoenix to, to, to help get this thing along. And, and we didn't do it for one simple, well, for two reasons. One, um, we weren't, I, I want to make sure that if I'm asking someone for money that I've got some sort of a product that I'm going to be delivering to them. And I'm, I'm ju- I just was not sure at the time what our, what our final product, or not our final product, but what some particular output might be. I think we have a little more clarity on that as well. And the second reason, and the much more important reason um, for that, is that we have several of our, uh, of our friends who were going through some pretty rotten times uh, back in Phoenix with some, some family issues and financial challenges. The last thing that either of us wanted to do was try and bifurcate any attention away from those people who were significantly more in need than we were. We were choosing to do something that's quite possibly stupid. Um, very <laughs> of ours didn't make the choice for their 13-month-old to get cancer. And so the last thing we wanted to do was try and draw attention away from that. Now, we, we may – obviously, we're, we're in different places. Everyone seems to be doing fine. And as we come up with a good product to, uh, to put out there, uh, there will very likely be a way for people to, you know – 
buy us a beer along the path or put together some sort of a crowdfunding campaign to, to, to get this one thing going on. That's definitely something we will be looking at in the near future. You know, Sheila, honestly, Sheila Evo, your product's you. Do you know what I mean? It's this is it now. This is never mind the book. Never mind. You know, you'll have something in like six months' time to show. Where I don't want to see that. I want to see your lives. I guess that's what everybody wants to do. You know. So I think the products you just yeah. get up, get up some peerons, get it kind of at least a, a trickle stream coming in as well, so you can just you know forget the year, just carry on this adventure. You know, as long as you you know health and God willing can go. Honey, I think we're our first pair right here. No our first subscriber. Sweet. All right. We'll get it right away. <laughs> Listen, it's been a blast talking to you. You know what I mean? When I discovered your kind of podcast, it was like, eh? No, really? Oh, man. Honestly, and this is a true story. We planned this about 20 years ago before kids come along. Yeah. I took night classes to learn mechanics in case we got like a camper van. And then it was me that bottled and said, oh, me work's pension. You know, I was always worried about me pension. And, you know, and that stopped us. And now, 2008, the company's nibbled away at my pension. And now, this month, you know, that it's owned by some Chinese multi-billionaire. He's now grabbing more of the pension. You know, and like reality checks now thinking, I took the safe route. And, you know, look what I'm now, we're regretting not doing it. You know, because we were so worried about our pensions and our, you know, future. You have just jumped off and... You haven't got any worries. You know what I mean? Well done to you. All right. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll say the same thing 10 years from now when instead of, you know, when we're in our mid fifties as opposed to our mid forties. And if our health holds out, which we're hopeful it will, then uh, we can do this for at least a while before we have to come back and, and deal with the realities of living in modern civilization. But who knows? Maybe we'll be the, the, the first geriatric um, traveling nomads out there. You never know. Well, listen, Sheila, Evo, it's honestly, it's been a blast talking to you. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time. I was going to say out your hectic lives, but out your kind of new and unusual lives. Thank you so much. Thank you very Thanks. much, Tommy. We appreciate you following all of our antics and donating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, that, honestly, get get a like a, a, some sort of site up now. Even like see a paid one, and I'm sure. Do you know what I mean? We'll get the word out now, and because it was like you see, you've done it dead quick. You know, there's been no build up of publicity. All of a sudden, I'm I'm reading that Sheila and Evo is away, and they're actually doing it now. You know, it's like you turn your head and you've you've gone, you've left, you've sold everything. You know, so get something up and running. All right, we'll take that under advisement. We'll yeah. get on that this weekend. I like the plan. <laughs> Listen, it's been lovely talking to you. Honestly, look after yourselves. You know what I mean? Take good care. Thanks, Tony. Will do. Cheers. How about that? Man, how brave are those two? Just sell everything and have and i'm not joking go over to their website when i say their bags are tiny them bags that's, that's all they've got and evo sitting there in the interview he's brought too much stuff do you know and it's funny because i was laughing and giggling on and you know i, mean, I had a, such a fab time but i went to bed just thinking almost worried for them you know i kind of i was chewing it over and it maybe it's just me personally do you know what i mean it's just like I'm a, such a home bird. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, say, it takes... Even going somewhere for a couple of days, if it's not with the family, it just doesn't sit right with us. Do you know what I mean? And obviously, Evo and D are not like that. You know, they can just kind of do that and get away with it. And, you know, 
but to not have, for me personally, this base that I call home. Do you know what I mean? That's a big concept for me to kind of to get the terms with. But to you know, just hats off. To, I can't explain it in words. You know what I mean? Hats off them that they're allowing us to kind of to witness this and to, to come along with it because there's. There's going to be lows, do you know what I mean? There's going to hit sometimes rock bottom, you know what I mean? Just one of them bags goes missing, as simple as, do you know what I mean? And that's just going to cause a whole little whirlwind of, like, disappointment and misery for them until they get it sorted out, you know what I mean? And like I said, there isn't this base, but I don't know, do you know what I mean? And the cool thing was, you know, I said to you on that interview, if you listen, I said, we need video, and if you go on the website today, this is, I'm just recording this on Wednesday, it's, it's there, there's a, the video's there, and it's spot on. <laughs> Evo, you've got a face for radio. <laughs> it's, and I, would, I was, because I was going to drop Evo a, a, a kind of note and say, all you need is a kind of little GoPro, you know, you don't even have to buy the brand new ones, a Hero 3, is it that called? Stick it on. Your trolley, you know what I mean? Stick it on your bike, stick it on a little monopod so you're walking around with it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be invasive or anything like that. It's just, you know, while you're recording your audio, you just have this little, you can actually use the audio from the video. You know what I mean? To do it, but to have it in video as well and it's up there. Do you know what I mean? And just fantastic. What? You know what I mean? I couldn't personally do it. You know, like we, we I says in the interview, we, we talked about doing it years ago and that was the honest, God's honest truth. We actually wanted to do that, and it was me that kind of put the blockers on it, you know, worried about pensions and stuff like that. Now, do you know what I mean? You can't, pensions get nibbled away, and it's just, oh. So, and listen, if, you know what I mean? Because, yeah, they were kind of both upbeat about, you know, kind of, you know, they've got their savings, they've got their cash, and it ain't going to last for long. And I just think if we can support them, do you know what I mean? If Evo gets himself a little kind of, you know, Patreon icon on there and get something just set up so there's always like a little bit dribbling into the background. That's, you know, how Starship Sova survives, you know. Just making sure your bedrock's kind of covered. So if Evo gets that up, and he said he's going to put like a little Patreon, you know, or some sort of kind of funding system there. So they've always just got like a cushion. Do you know what I mean? That's And that's exactly what you want. Do you know what I mean? You want this kind of, each month just dribbles in, dribbles in, and just kind of, you know looks after you so hopefully you know pop over i'll put a link on to kind of shivo that the studios on tour do you know what I mean this guy and sheila you know what i mean just to do this you know what i mean this is one of kind of like you say one of the heroes you know podium books president everything like that the guy and it's just funny man i was mentioning it before just it's exciting checking in because evil and they are doing all different sorts you know there's a newsletter there's the kind of podcast hopefully there's a video stream there now you know, there's different... So you can just keep an, just keep an eye on them. Just see, see how your babies are doing. Do you know what I mean? Just making sure they're all right there. Do you know what I mean? So, listen, it's, you know, it's just... I'm looking forward to the kind of this adventure. Do you know what I mean? I'm worried. I'm honestly worried in case something goes wrong. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, you know, I was going to say there are old people there, but they're not. I think Evo's younger than me there. Just about a couple of years, Evo, so don't... <laughs> but... Honestly, look after yourselves. Just what a fantastic adventure you're on, do you know what I mean? And just documenting it for all of us to kind of hear and watch and listen is just fantastic. You know what I mean? It has to be applauded. Thank you so much for doing this. 
So next up is the main fiction and it is Concert of Flowers by Kate O'Connor. Kate O'Connor was born in Virginia in 1982. She graduated from Embley Ridley Aeronautical University at Prescott in 2009 and now lives in the New York area. She's been writing science fiction and fantasy since 2011. Her work has most recently appeared in Orson Scott's Cards, Intergalactical Medicine Show, Daily Science Fiction and Escape Pod. In between telling stories, she flies aeroplanes, works as an archaeology field tech and manages a kennel full of Airedale Terriers. Ho-ho! The story was originally published in the Daily Science Fiction, then it was reprinted in Fantasy Scroll Mag. The story is narrated by Mark Leventhal. Mark is a right-arm musician who has lived and worked in the Los Angeles area for over 30 years. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York, he moved to LA in the early 80s to become a rock star. That didn't quite happen as planned, but a lot of other cool stuff did. He has been involved in both the music business, having co-written the hit single Three Little Pigs, while in the band Green Jello and the motion picture, motion picture industry having co-written the score for the cult movie classic Valley Girl. Mark's short stories have appeared in Aboriginal Science Fiction, the magazine of Bizarre Fiction and several anthologies, including Mondo, Zombie and Amazing Stories of Flying Spaghetti Monster. A novel co-written with John Skip, The Emerald Burrito of Oz, was published in Eraserhead Press in 2010. Several sequels are in the works. Mark currently lives in Pasadena with his two lovely children, nerd children, that's what he's got here, somewhere between JPL and Mount Wilson. A Concert of Flowers by Kate O'Connor The packed concert hall was far from silent. People whispered to their neighbors. Fancy clothing rustled. Jewelry chimed. In the wings, William Reese waited, the sound of his rapidly thumping heart filling his ears. A sharp tug on his collar dragged his eyes down. Emily's pale hands, beautiful still, though her skin was wrinkled and growing translucent, straightened his lapels. The charcoal gray suit belonged to her second son. It was tight across the middle and a little long in the leg, but he'd forgotten that he would need concert attire until the last minute. I'll be in the front row, don't puke. She wrinkled her nose at him and shoved him gently towards the stage. He clutched the ring in his pocket, making sure it was still there. He thought about asking her then, but she was gone before he could unstick his lips. Stomach fluttering, he walked out to his place at center stage instead. William watched the house lights go down through the slim inch between the rich red velvet hem of the curtain and the satiny, dark-tinted stage floor. His head spun, and he transferred the slender remote between hands, wiping first one sweating palm, then the other, on his baggy slacks. With a ponderous creak, the heavy curtain rose, and he was momentarily blinded by the spotlights. They hadn't seemed so bright during the lighting test. He blinked stupidly for a long minute before the uncomfortable rustling of the audience broke through his surging panic. He frantically keyed the initial button on the sweat-slick remote. There was a soft hiss as the clear casing of the first stasis jar fell open. The slim-leafed plant anchored in its deep pot trembled as air rushed in. Its single bud exploded into bloom even before the casing had touched the table, and a note, high, clear, perfectly pure, rang through the dark. It brought tears to William's eyes almost as good as hearing it for the first time. The equipment on his back was heavy, and getting heavier by the hour. 
He pushed up the sleeves of his shirt again, pulling the sweaty garment away from his chest and flapping it a few times. Surveying was a solitary job. One day this field or one like it would be the site of the new spaceport. Ships would come and shops would spring up, followed by restaurants, businesses, and apartments. One day it would be a bustling city. Now it was just one more muddy meadow to slog through on one more far-flung colonial world. The climate was pleasantly temperate, but there was an odd purplish cast to most of the vegetation. A few scrubby trees were growing to the south, barely more than bushes twisting up through the waist-high, mauve-spotted grass. Lumpy amber clouds were building in the distance, threatening to force their way over the low, rounded mountain range. William stopped on a slight rise, shrugging off the shoulder straps and easing his equipment down. He fumbled through setting it up, hurrying a bit as he tried to keep half an eye on the weather. Tulandro was his second assignment and his first solo job. The leg of the theodolite tripod slipped just as William finished calibrating it. Cursing loudly, he kicked at a patch of sturdy indigo-green plants. Their thick stalks rebounded easily, and one of the baseball-sized buds burst open, stunning William to silence as a clean note rang through the open field. He had never heard anything like it. Cautious and disbelieving, he nudged another bud with the mud-caked toe of his boot. The plant trembled, and the blossom opened, unfurling crimson petals as it added its note to the no longer desolate air. Easing away from center stage, William pushed a couple of buttons. Two tones rang out together, wavering delicately as they adjusted to each other and found balance. As he keyed the next sequence, the sound swelled. William watched as a series of jars in front of him collapsed and the plants within burst into salmon and ruby and violet bloom. The singing flowers of Tulandra had two notes each. One was when their petals opened for the first time, the hollow pistol sucking air all the way to the plant's roots and vibrating the tiny filaments inside the stem. The second came when the stem's integrity was compromised and the stored air rushed out. Each leaf had microscopic protuberances that caught the frequencies emitted by the other flowers. The invisible vibrations would cause the plant to tighten or relax the internal filaments, adjusting them until its note matched the harmonics of the flowers around it. They're called harmony lilies, son. They're everywhere this time of the rotation. The farmer's lips twitched as he poked at the bruised, drying samples spread on the heavily stained bar. William bit the inside of his cheek, trying to ignore the smirks and shared looks the watering hole's few occupants were exchanging. Galactic Survey's guidebooks were notoriously incomplete. William didn't know anything about the local flora and fauna beyond what was supposedly edible and what might be poisonous. What makes them sing like that, William pressed on, squinting a bit in the dim light of the dilapidated bar. Being the butt of the joke would be worth it if he could just learn a bit more about the strange plants that had kept him company on his long survey circuit. Dunno, the farmer shrugged and turned back to his drink. William scooped up the remains of his carefully collected samples and walked out, leaving his untouched drink sitting on the rough wood of the bar. You made an intergalactic call to tell me about flowers? Seriously, Will, this must be costing you at least a week's salary. Emily's disbelief came through the static with perfect clarity. He huffed in annoyance. Calling her might have been a dumb idea. Her husband hated him, mostly because of how easily Emily talked to him, but she was still the only one who might possibly get it. Look, I know it's silly, it's just... He broke off, not sure how to put words to his jumbled-up feelings. It's caught your interest, Emily filled in for him. 
He could picture her curled up in the fall leather chair in her bedroom, the phone tucked between chin and shoulder while she folded laundry or skimmed through clips on the latest fashions. Nothing catches your interest. Tramping around all those different planets and all you see is how similar everything is to everything else. Except for this. So now you don't want to leave, that right? William grunted an affirmative. It sounded stupid laid out that simply, but he couldn't exactly deny it. So don't leave. Classic Emily solution. No money. William shifted uncomfortably. He didn't like the little thrill of excitement that shot through him when he thought about staying until Andra. It was too complicated. There were other things he wanted more. One other thing, anyway. Ha, you have enough to call me, but I get the drift. So make a few more credits off of survey and then go back. Better yet, get a degree or something so they have to pay you to go back. It's just a plant, Em. Not worth changing my life over. Then why are you still talking about it? Besides, you don't like your life anyway. If you like this, even a little bit, it's better than what you have now. You might get bored without me. William smiled as he said it. Boredom had been Emily's chief complaint forever. I'll have Charlie and the baby to keep me occupied. You're pregnant? And just that simply, his daydreams of earning enough money to come back and sweep her off her feet went out the window. A husband she wasn't quite happy with was one thing, but this meant she would have a family of her own. That was different. Congratulations. I'm not naming him after you. She laughed, sounding relaxed and happy. You should see it out here, Em. I found a whole field singing all at once. All the flowers were shooting pollen into the air, and with the sun shining through, everything sparkled. You've never heard anything like it, like the entire world is trying to tell you something. His chest was tight. He didn't want to talk about her new family. Send me pictures. I couldn't stand to be that far from the nearest flushing toilet, especially these days. She was waiting for him to laugh, but he couldn't manage. I'm going to find a way to stay. Good for you. You'll make it work. There was a question at the end. She was wondering what was wrong. I'm out of time. Talk to you later sometime. I am. For once, he didn't tell her he would miss her. William couldn't see the faces of the audience, but he felt their anticipation with each flick of his fingers. He thought he could just hear the rush of gasped breaths and the crinkle of hands clenching programs under the music of his lilies. They wouldn't have seen anything like this before. There had never been something like this. He was the first, the only. And the seeds in the next planting are an outcross with old Terran Lilium Amenum. They should be putting up shoots any day now. The possibilities are really exciting. William trailed off as the politely blank look on Emily's face finally broke through his enthusiasm and registered as the boredom it no doubt signified. Sorry, Em. Too much of a good thing, huh? No, no. I love hearing about your work. She gave him the smile he had seen her use all too frequently on her second husband before she dropped him. It was the one that meant she had checked out of the conversation almost before it had begun. They had been friends since elementary school. Quite often they knew each other better than either liked to remember. It's okay. That's all there is to it, really. How are the kids? William smothered a sigh as she leapt at the change in topic. Five years working for survey to earn the money for college. Struggling through courses his haphazard early education had left him ill-equipped to deal with. Masters, doctorate in alien botany, and for what? Twelve greenhouses that were his life. Countless dusty papers published on obscure botany nets. A few equally dusty awards celebrating his landmark contributions to the field. 
All he had was 20 years of research that made his friends and family wince whenever he mentioned any of it. When it came right down to it, nothing he had ever done made people care about the thing he had built his life around. Even Emily. She was single again. He'd been waiting for that, but he just couldn't see her coming back to Talandra with him, and he couldn't stop his research now. It was the only thing he had to take pride in. The air in William's small greenhouse workshop was moist and warm. He sat perched on the edge of his rickety old chair, humming under his breath to the robust violet lily that was in the process of blooming. The frequency it was emitting didn't change. Not that he had really expected it to. No matter what he had tried, he hadn't managed to find a sound that affected them besides their own. Even recordings didn't work. They only modified their songs for each other. Something tickled at the back of his brain. Maybe recordings were the problem. If people could just hear them the same way he did. He wanted people to understand, to see what he saw in the little plants he had devoted his life to. It didn't seem possible. In the entirety of the galaxy, a few bits of foliage weren't likely to garner much notice. But there was something to the idea. Funding and sponsors might take a while to drum up, but if he could be persistent enough, maybe the idea would catch hold. A concert with flowers as the star performers was surely different enough to spark interest. He got to his feet, ignoring the twinge in his back. He had some calls to make. The phone buzzed. William flipped it over, checking the ID out of habit. There weren't that many people he cared to speak to on a warm spring evening. The little window read, Remus Entertainment Productions. He dropped the phone and had to lunge after it. A few contributors were waiting to see if he could get real support, but were not willing enough to make a go of it without a big-name backer. R.E.P. was just about his last hope. Everyone else had said no. William Reese speaking. He could have kicked himself with a tremor in his voice. Hello, Dr. Reese. This is Sam Hallerman from R.E.P. I'm calling in regards to your proposal. William's heart sank. The tone of voice was all too familiar as Hallerman continued. It's an interesting idea, but we don't think we can find an audience for something so inanimate. It's not like that. William's pulse raced frantically. There had to be something he could say, some way to explain more clearly. He couldn't take hearing no again. Thank you for your time, Dr. Reese. Good luck. The man's voice was dismissive and impersonal. It made William's hands clench. Wait! William's mind raced. Why don't I fly some of your guys out here? Let them see what it would really be like. On my dollar. What do you think? You've got nothing to lose. It would break him financially. Intergalactic travel was expensive. Even if he picked up as many teaching gigs as he could get, it wouldn't be enough. He would have to borrow money. Money there was no way to pay back if this didn't pay off. He could lose everything. There was a long silence on the other end of the line, and William tried to squash the stray stab of hope running him through. Finally, Hallerman came back with the answer. All right, then, but no promises, no contract. Most likely we'll still say no. Relaxing into the performance, William pushed the button to put the program on automatic and stuck the remote in his jacket pocket. As more and more blossoms burst open, he picked up two pairs of pruning shears that had been lying on the table waiting for him. The sharp edges glinted in the harsh lighting. He walked forward to the front table. His heart had finally steadied. They sounded so beautiful, better than he had imagined. The flowers in front of him were silent now. On average, a note lasted 4.16 minutes. The longest he had measured had been 7.83 minutes. That one had been an old plant with an extensive root system.
The pack on his back had gotten lighter over the long years he had walked these fields. Now all he carried was a carefully tuned frequency meter and a spade. He towed a hovercart of empty stasis jars behind him. Four years into his research, William had discovered that the harmony lilies emitted an inaudible hum just before the buds popped. That discovery hadn't come to much back then, but it made his plan for collecting concert specimens easier. The timing had to be flawless. For the performance to work, they had to be placed in stasis just moments before they bloomed. The spring breeze was cool against his forehead. He'd had hair to cover that once. Sitting stiffly down in the purple grass, he pulled out his tools. Transplanted lilies were his best bet. The cultivated ones just didn't have as pure a tone. There was a collective intake of breath from the crowd as William neatly severed the first bloom. The blush pink flower dropped sideways, catching on the edge of the table and spinning like an open umbrella towards the floor. Its death note was scarcely noticeable under the vivid harmony of its brothers. The dying resonance was always softer, sighing, and hollow. The sound triggered the release of pollen in any living harmony lily that heard it. Like most everything else, their unique characteristics were adapted towards furthering the species. A cascade of minute particles sparkled as they drifted slowly towards the stage floor. William smiled. It looked almost like one of his fields back on Tulandra. William walked through the storage compartment, scanning each case with his handheld. Each flower had been packed carefully in individual stasis jars, numbered and labeled. His stomach clenched each time he made his twice-daily rounds. Too many cracked jars, an unfortunate program malfunction, and it would be over before it began. The ship was 93 days out of Tulandra, just five more days until they landed on Remus. Sometimes William wondered if his heart would survive the trip. Every shift and jolt had him frantic. It had taken so very long to bring his concert together. If it didn't work, he would be left with nothing. William gestured with his shears, and the assistants waiting in the wings emerged. Each moved to a section of flowers bearing shears of her own. In carefully choreographed accord, they began trimming blossoms. Gradually, the tone of the concert changed as the number of dying notes overcame those still blooming. At long last, only one jar remained unopened. It sat on a pedestal at center stage. Behind the crystalline glass, the graceful plant rested in frozen perfection. William had studied them all and picked this one specifically. It was moderately sized, perhaps two feet in height from dirt to crown, but full and symmetrical. Each blade-shaped leaf glowed with health, emerald in the center darkening to purple-black at the tips. Its single bud stood proudly on its thick stalk. As the last dying notes from the other flowers faded, William put his finger on the jar's manual release. His breath came hard. This was it, the final moment. He pressed the button and the glass fell away. The bud hesitated for a moment, deep violet outer petals clinging to each other before springing triumphantly apart. As the pearl, pale center caught the light, William held his breath. The translucent call sang out for an eighth of a beat before he clipped the radiant fuchsia blossom. As it fell, the dying note merged, shifted, harmonized with its own echo. For a brief second, it was rapture. Silence reigned in the theater. William stood deflated and exhausted. It hadn't worked. He would go back to his greenhouses a failure. His work would fade away when he did, ghosting around in botany texts to be poked through by other unknown specialists, showing up in Galactic Survey's guidebook. Inedible, non-poisonous species. He couldn't even find Emily with the blazing lights in his face. 
He had wanted so badly for her to see. Someone began clapping. The sound grew until it was a roar. William raised his head in unbelieving amazement. The cheers swelled still louder. He stumbled forward, raising his wet face to the shining spotlight. Foyed on his dawning ecstasy, he took his bow, fallen blossoms glistening bright and fresh on the dark wood of the stage. There you go, don't forget, copyright is Kate. Kate, thank you so much for that. And Mark, what can I say? A big thank you. Hope we can see you again on Starship Sofa. Don't forget, this show is sponsored by Octagon Technology. Octagon Technology can help your business by supplying a managed off-site backup of your essential data to servers located in the UK. Responsive, reliable and reassuring IT for the Lincolnshire area. Big thank you to Clive and Diane. Like I say, we've got a few things planned in this year. Some nice special things. So finally, we've got a little short story again by Mark Lawrence. Potential, and again, it is narrated by Anne-Marie Chowowski. Potential, by Mark Lawrence. They say eavesdroppers hear no good of themselves. But like alcoholism, eavesdropping steals up on you. At first... You don't really know you're doing it. Then you do know, but you pretend not to. Next there's denial. And at the end, the frank acceptance that you'll do whatever it takes to carry right on. Dave hadn't been enjoying his coffee. He sipped it dutifully to keep the Starbucks Employee of the Month wannabe off his back. But it could have been ground up bugs in ditch water for all the joy it gave his mouth. All he wanted was a place to sit. A moment to himself out of the November wind. It's a fixer-upper, and I'll come right out and say that. Dave kept his gaze on the grey street, clogged with SUVs, each bigger and more shiny than the next. Bad cholesterol in a tired artery of the Pennsylvanian heartland. It's a bit tatty. Dave took a sly glance. Two tables down, a man in a sharp black suit sat opposite a tall fellow, clutching a caramel frappuccino. The tall guy had on a Hawaiian shirt that surely contravened all the laws of sartorial elegance, not to mention a few local health and safety statutes. It's just, I'm not sure it's us. Do you have anything bigger? He bent to sip his frappuccino. Not with this kind of atmosphere. They were selling off Starbucks? Dave didn't get it. Even if it was a franchise, you don't sell franchises to men in shirts that look like someone ate a bushel of M&Ms and then vomited all over. Well, I don't know. It's not really what we were thinking of. Marguerite really wanted plenty of room for the kids. The kids? The smart buyer looks past the furnishings and sees the potential. The man in the suit waved an arm towards the street. I knew my friend are a smart buyer. Hawaiian shirt gave a foolish smile and slurped the last of his drink. Well, I like the sun. Let me show you about. Suit reached for his briefcase. They stood together. It's bigger than it looks, you know. Suit hung an arm around Hawaii's shoulder and steered him towards the exit. We're talking seven continents here, and that, my friend, ain't bijou, if you know what I mean. David passed denial. He abandoned his coffee and followed them out into the cold. Five oceans, geothermal eating, polar caps... He caught up and fell in behind the suit of man's sales pitch, still in full flow. And the potential! 
The suited man turned on a heel and caught Dave by the neck, his hand a steel claw under Dave's chin. Six billion of these. Now I don't know how many eggs your Marguerite has, but each one of these guys could host two or three, I'm thinking. There you go. Big thank you to Mark and Anne-Marie again. Mark, thank you so much. And what can I say? More, more, more narrations, please. Thank you so much. Big thank you to Jeremy, our assistant editor, putting all this together. Jeremy, thank you so much, sir. And a huge, huge, huge thank you for Sheila and Evo coming on the show and opening up their lives to the Starship Sofas listeners. If there is a Patreon site there, you know, help Evo and D out there. Let's just get this so they just keep on going on and we can just dip into their lives and see how they're, you know, just moving from, you know, country to country. And obviously, yes, no hotbed kind of places to go to Evo D. What can I say? A big thank you. Hope you've enjoyed this show. I certainly have. Thank you so much. Don't forget, yes, we're sponsored, but, you know, we're sponsored. We still need that bedrock funding. There's been a few pulling out of late. Please. If you want to support this show, hey, listen, I could desperately need it. Please, if you don't mind, that would be fantastic. Until next week. Next week. (laughs) It's the lipstick. Good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Starship Sofa. Evacuation procedure initiated. Shuttle set for launch. Airlock will be opened in 3, 2, 1. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.